So I'm calling this talk Facing Darkness. And I'll, I'll start with the fact that Thursday is a, a tremendous day in, in Earth. It's, it's, the ver- it's the autumnal equinox. And so the equinox, it's a planet-wide event. It, uh, everywhere on the planet, there is exactly 12 hours a day and 12 hours of night. Um, what's been happening over the past month and a half or so is that the length of the day in the Northern Hemisphere has been shrinking at an ever-increasing rate. It, it's, it's dropping like a stone this time of year. Um, and it will continue to shrink um, as, we, as we move through this day. So for the next six months in the Northern Hemisphere, the nights will be longer than the day. Of course, reverse in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, today is one of only two days, this day and the other equinox, when the sun rises perfectly due east and sets perfectly due west. What's going to happen as we, as the day gets shorter, the, the points of rising and setting will drift south. So the sun will be rising in the southeast and setting in the southwest you'll be getting these smaller and smaller arcs until the sun stands still, as it were, and comes back. The, the word solstice is actually from sun standing, sun standing still. Um, today is dawn at the South Pole. And for the next six months, the South Pole will have 24 hours a day uninterrupted sunlight. Today is dusk at the North Pole. And for the next six months, the North Pole will have 24 hours a day uninterrupted nighttime. And in fact, that, that region of 24-hour nighttime will slowly expand until by the solstice, everything in the Arctic Circle, including some, some cities in northern Scandinavia, will be experiencing 24 hours a day of uninterrupted night. And so there's a, it's kind of a natural time of reflection and going inward. Um, and I was thinking a lot about darkness this week. And it's fascinating. I think the world over, darkness, light and darkness are such a powerful metaphor. You know, light is a powerful metaphor for, for knowledge, for wisdom, ultimately for higher spiritual states, you know all the artistic depictions of God and heaven and angels, everything is suffused with light, you know, and the highest state in Buddhism is called enlightenment. You know, the, the Chinese character for enlightenment is Ming, which means brightness. It's actually a character made by the sun and the moon put together. It's like the combined light of the sun and the moon. Um, that was also incidentally the name of the dynasty, the Ming dynasty. Meanwhile, darkness is a symbol for, sometimes for evil, sometimes for just that which we can't control or we don't know, um, you know, often the, everything about the body in, in, in 
the Western symbology is cast into darkness, you know, the mind is light, the body is darkness, this sort of thing. Um, and so that's fact number one, the kind of symbolism associated with light and dark. And fact number two is something that I always find very striking, and it, it's not often talked about, but if you think of our species, so our, our particular species has existed for maybe 40 or 50,000 years, um, but humanoid species have existed for a couple million years. And during all that time, for the vast majority of that time, it got dark at night. And people experienced a lot of darkness at night. You know, and, and you know, people had bonfires or campfires in villages, that sort of thing. Um, so there'd be a small circle of light, but then vast amounts, uncontrollable amounts of surrounding darkness. Um, you know, and over the past few hundred years, that started to abate a little bit, you know, Certainly, people had fireplaces and homes and that sort of thing. Um, you know, rich people were able to afford candles. Candles was not something that common people necessarily could afford on a, you know, on a to use on a daily basis. Um, but it's really only in the past hundred years or so that suddenly we have electric light, and suddenly every space we're in is lit up. You know, like we can have light. 24 hours a day if we want, you know, and, and there are street lights and, you know, I mean, even if I think about it, like say in my apartment, even if I turn off all the lights, there's ambient light coming in, you know, and of course the modem is making light and the alarm clock and all the gadgets are making light. You know, it's very easy for me to navigate my apartment with the lights off because it's not really all that dark, you know, and it, it's fascinating. Like if we actually want to go someplace dark, we're, we're, we really have to make an effort of it. Like we have to strategize and think like maybe if I go to that state park or something and then like walk in at night or something, then I'll be in the dark, you know, but it, it's hard to get to a place where we experience total darkness at this point. You know, we just take for granted that there's, there's some kind of light 24 hours a day. And so you might almost say that there's a way that we have, as it were, banished darkness in the modern world. You know, and what does that mean when we think about the symbolism of darkness? You know, think for a moment just how it feels to really be in the dark. And, and probably you have to think back to a time maybe when the power was out or something like this, like, what you know when you're truly you know not you know not just when you turn the light off and there's there's enough ambient light to see but when you're really in the dark think about how that feels think about the feelings associated with that you know think about how that feels in the body you know maybe it brings up some fear maybe it brings up some some you know inability to 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 act almost a feeling of being lost, um, a loss of control, you know? And what does it mean, you know, that for so much of, of human evolution, 
evolutionary ancestors who essentially had the same brains and psyches that we have, um, most of those people experience darkness a lot, and we hardly experience it at all. You know, astronomers actually complain about light pollution in urban areas, making it hard to see the stars. There's so much light, you know. Um, and I wonder if this is part of kind of what plagues modern society, the reluctance to um, to go into all the uncontrollable parts of the psyche, the, the darkness of the unconscious, the... I mean, even vulnerability and emotions, you know, vulnerability and emotions are not controllable, you know, intellect, that's controllable, you know, so if I stay up in my head, you know, far away from any vulnerability, far away from any deep feeling, then I can have this nice controllable life and I can keep all the darkness of that away, you know, and to what extent does the, does does the the modern situation of having, as it were, banished darkness play into that or support that, you know, play into almost a kind of hubris of, you know, I don't even have to deal with the darkness now. I don't have to even deal with the thing that is uncontrollable now or brings fear to me now. You know, I don't have to deal with being lost. You know, it that and that's another that's another strange aspect of this, like. We all have computers in our pockets that tell us exactly where we are and exactly how to get where we need to go. Like, no one is ever really lost anymore, you know? And that and that's such a profound human experience. So I want to read a poem. A poem that is on the quote sheet that, unfortunately, I can't share with people online. But the poem is called Lost. It's about being lost in the woods. Stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen, it answers, saying, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. And that's just a powerful metaphor for all the times that we feel even emotionally lost. You know, again, we, you know, we have the computer in our pocket so that we're never physically lost, but but being emotionally lost or feeling philosophically lost is still a human experience. And can we relax into that? Can we be, can we be lost in a mindful way? 
Not in this anxious, like, oh, there's something wrong because I'm lost. You know, can we relax into the not knowing? You know, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Not knowing is a, it's a, it's a very challenging thing in our modern world because we're so used to knowing. We're so used to getting answers, you know, any answer we want instantly at our fingertips, you know. And I hear people say all the time, whenever there's a situation of not knowing, oh, not knowing, that's hard. That's really hard. You know, can we relax into not knowing? Can we be at peace with the not knowing? Jung talked about when we're faced with an external experience of not knowing, when there's... um, when there's just something, you know, a situation we we objectively don't have the information about it. He talked about how the unconscious just automatically fills in that space. It's almost exactly the same process by which the blind spot in the eye works. You know, we, we all have a blind spot. The optic nerve attaches at the back of the eye, and so it creates a blind spot, but the brain just fills in that blind spot, so we see more of the same pattern. And we're not aware that there's a gap in our vision there. And the unconscious does something much the same way, at least according to Jung, when I'm seeing something and I really don't have the information, I just supply the information from my own unconscious, you know? And it actually is a, it's a wonderful exercise when we realize we're doing this. Of course, that information tells us very little about the objective thing out there, but it tells me a lot about what I'm carrying in my unconscious, you know? And it, it's particularly instructive if you're you're faced with unknown scenarios again and again and again, and you're you're telling yourself the same story again and again and again. So that's a very important story to to track and to be become familiar with. Um, part of darkness, part of facing darkness, is about fear. It's about about fear and the fear that results from loss of control. Um, I'll read you another quote. This is also from a poem. This is from T.S. Eliot. This is from The Four Quartets. We are only undeceived of that which deceiving could no longer harm in the middle but not only in the middle of the way but all the way in a dark wood in a bramble on the edge of a grim pen when there's where there is no secure foothold and menace by monsters fancy lights risking enchantment do not let me hear of the wisdom of old men but rather of their folly their fear of fear and frenzy their fear of possession of belonging to another or to others, or to God. The only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility. Humility is endless. I'm going to read that one again, because that one is complicated. There's a lot going on there. We're only undeceived of that which deceiving could no longer harm. In the middle... Not only in the middle of the way, 
but all the way in a dark wood, in a bramble, on the edge of a grim pen, where is no secure foothold, and menaced by monsters, fancy lights, risking enchantment. Do not let me hear of the wisdom of old men, but rather of their folly, their fear of fear and frenzy, their fear of possession, of belonging to an other, or to others, or to God. The only wisdom we can hope to acquire is the wisdom of humility. Humility is endless. So there's a lot there. I love the fact that we're we're only undeceived of that which deceiving can no longer harm. You know, in other words, as long as there's as long as the thing that's deceiving me can harm me in some way, I'm still deceived by it. And you know, there there's something very deep about the healing process there. It's you know how can I say, in healing the head is the last to know. Like by the by the time I've worked through the heal by the time it gets to the point that I can rationally talk about the process I've been through, I'm basically done with it already, you know? So it's funny. Um and I just love the image of you might say the second chakra challenges around control, around resistance just to the the flow of the unknown. Um, and the way that's, that presented, you know, presented to the mind as, you know, monsters and, you know, fancy lights and this sort of thing. Um, and it, I would say that, you know, in the point of view of Buddhism, Buddhism is very much a yes, a brave, generous hearted yes to all experience, an affirmation of all experience, you know? And it's the affirmation of of all the stuff that we can see and be mindful about and control and, and all that. But it's also yes to everything we can't control, we can't know, we can't see, you know? Everything about the whole unside of the whole side of life that is absolutely unpredictable and in flow and not tameable at all. You know, Buddhism is a yes to all of that. Um, and it's such a it's such a profound uh, contrast to our society, which loves the things that we can explain and control and define and all that, but is really bothered by the things that we can't know and can't control. You know, um, and what would it mean to to welcome the darkness, to be at peace with the darkness, to be at peace with all forms of what darkness is in our lives, and to to make that our intention as we move this year into the dark time of the year. So with that, I will share some quotes. Give that the one lucky the attendee. Poem, the poem is on here? Yeah, both poems are on there. And the author, who's the author on the first? Oh, David Wagner. So, in addition to the poems, a Zen saying, one inch ahead is all darkness. <laughs> From Pliny the Elder, 
The depth of darkness to which you can descend and still live is an exact measure of the height to which you can aspire to reach. From Rumi, what hurts you blesses you. Darkness is your candle. Meister Eckhart said, truly it is in the darkness that one finds the light. So when we are in sorrow, then this light is nearest of all to us. You know, something about being in, I think a more modern way to phrase that is when we're, when we're deep in our own vulnerability, that's when we're, we're most able to contact that light, that healing light. Julian of Norwich, the the great woman mystic of the, the 14th century, said, As far as we can discern, the sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. Erasmus said, Give light, and the darkness will disappear of itself. A fascinating one from Wordsworth. There is a dark, invisible workmanship that reconciles discordant elements and makes them move in one society. I'll read that one again. There is a dark, invisible workmanship that recognizes discordant elements and makes them move in one society. That's Wordsworth from the Preludes by Wordsworth. From Helen Keller. Everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence, and I learn, whatever state I may be in, therein to be content. That one's powerful from a, from a woman who lived in darkness and silence. Carl Jung said, people will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. From Hazrat Inayat Khan, there can be no rebirth without a dark night of the soul, a total annihilation of all that you believe in and thought that you were. From Kazansaki, The real meaning of enlightenment is to gaze with undimmed eyes on all darkness. The Christian mystic Thomas Merton said, We stumble and fall constantly, even when we are most enlightened. But when we we are in true spiritual darkness, we do not even know that we have fallen. Edward Abbey said, You can't study darkness by flooding it with light. (laughs) Love Edward Abbey. And Anne Frank said, look how a single candle can both defy and define the darkness. The poet Wendell Berry said, go into the dark with a light. To go into a dark with a light is to know the light. To know the dark, go dark. You know, and how many opportunities do we take to truly go dark? 
Mary Oliver said, Someone I loved once gave me a box of darkness. It took me years to understand that this too was a gift. From Vaclav Havel, Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. Pema Chodron said, Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. Hugh Prather said, It's not that we fear the places of darkness, but we don't think we are worth the effort to find the place of light. That one is fascinating. The poet Seamus Haney said simply, All I know is a, do- is a door into the dark. All I know is a door into the dark. Brene Brown said, Owning our own story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up in love and belonging and joy. The experience that make us most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. And finally, Sarah Maas says, when you spend so long trapped in darkness, you find the darkness begins to stare back.